don't ever forget that the reason you exist at companies, um, whether they see you as a strategic partner or just a cost center, the, the idea is still solving problems, um, innovations, but also just operational efficiencies too. And Monica here. Welcome to the Data Podcast for Nerds, where we get to talk to amazing professionals and ask them all about how they use data to solve the world's problems. What we're doing here is highlighting different amazing careers out there that you might not think are data related. And of course, we always include some fun bits because we're all nerds here and we'd love to have fun. So <laughs> today with us, we have Stephen Pope. How are you doing today, Stephen? I'm good. So how are you doing today? <laughs> I am doing fantastic. <laughs> I got Aww. one of my cuddle boys with me right now. So. Yes. <laughs> this is Rocco. Oh, Rocco. So I apologize for the dog booty in advance. Okay. Come okay. up and go. All right. All right. <laughs> so we usually start out the show by understanding people's origin stories. So if you could tell us about your background and how you got to where you are today in your career. Yeah, absolutely. So I live in Midwest Wisconsin right now in a town called Wausau. It's like 30,000 people or so, and I'm in a little suburb off of that. So when you think of like big data, you know, and these companies, you don't necessarily think Midwest all the time, for sure. I actually lived in a town about five times smaller, about 60 miles north, uh, and I was landscaping. And part of landscaping is in the winter, you got to do snow removal, right? We get feet and feet of snow. So I didn't want to drive my old like 1997 Nissan Altima in a couple feet of snow, 60 miles every night when it was snowing out. So I decided to move here with some friends and uh, I got really sick of landscaping. I was bicycling and I saw a sign at this company called East Bay which is uh, a subset of Foot Locker Inc., part of the umbrella. And they were hiring for the call center. And I was like, well, that sounds much better than shoveling snow. So I started there and I was just working e-care, people messaging, hey, you know, where's my package? Questions like that. So I did that for about a year, got promoted to a team lead position for uh, lost packages. And part of that was, you know, we're talking around a decade ago or so, when you had a package and you're supposed to get Jordans and you ended up with the t-shirt, uh, how are you going to get the right item right away? And then how do we make sure you sent the other item back? So I was working with this operations team and uh, they created these databases on how do we track packages, make sure they're coming back and reconcile. I had some okay inputs in that process and thought it was really cool when I started seeing the automation behind things. Um, I had been dating this girl for a few years. She had, at that time, they were five and six, you know, and I got sick of working second shift. I wanted to work nine to five, be there for baseball games, dinner, and all those things, right? So I talked to my boss and she recommended that I talk to the ops team and see like, hey, could I maybe hop on board? So, you know, because of those interactions we had before, it gave me a little bit of leverage to get in and talk about things. Uh, I got the position and that's where I learned the fundamentals of SQL, you know, some JavaScript, HTML, um, a lot of VBA inside Excel. And the more I did it, the more fun it was, the more processes I hooked up. 
And uh, I did that about two and a half years or so. And there was this emerging leader program at Foot Locker that allowed you to pair up with someone from a different team. That was kind of at that director level. Uh, this guy, Dave Zentrich, um, he was my mentor. We were together a while and it was the first, you know, kind of the first time Foot Locker was trying to join online data and retail data. And because I had experience with the online side, you know, they got some people from the brick and mortar side, brought in a lot of contractors and they needed people with that context. And I got really fortunate the way things lined up and I kind of got into a sink or swim moment of hopping from VBA and Microsoft SQL Server to the Hadoop system and Spark and real-time streaming. And, you know, so now we're sitting in that Hadoop, Spark, Python kind of world. And we did really, really amazing things with some contractors from TCS and just random people throughout the Foot Locker Inc., you know, organization who all came together to create this team. Uh, the team eventually, you know, started moving more down towards the Bradenton, Florida area where the champs office was. And I really, really like it in my small town. Um, I ended up going to a credit union and building a data analytics stack um, out of like Snowflake, Python, and, you know, whatever processes we could kind of find. Um, it was a little bit of a hodgepodge, but it worked and it ran and got built off of um, COVID hit, right? And when COVID hit is really when remote work took off exponentially. And there is this startup company out of Chicago called Freeosk, and they were looking for a data engineer to come in. Um, I interviewed, I hit it off um, with Chris, the director there, and Ahmad, the CTO. And, you know, within, I think, five months or so, I went from data engineering to managing the team. Um, that was really, I think, those couple of years there were probably the most impactful that I had of all time. Um, I brought in some people, we built new processes, and I guess we did good enough as a team where, you know, the team was picking up basically everything. And uh, I was left with feeling like the challenge of where I wanted to go next, I needed to push myself a little harder. I uh, went to join a startup, and before I even started, uh, funding got pulled and found myself kind of on the job market a year ago in a total panic. Um, and that's when I jumped into Infoceps and kind of got my toes wet in the architecture consulting um, type of role. So I work long term right now with a client, uh, Confidential. I spend about 80% of my time with them uh, doing high level architecture, kind of some on-site coordinating, technical product manager, wearing a lot of hats, and then contributing back to Infoceps as a whole on initiatives. So it was... Uh, about as organic of a journey, I think, as you could get. Um, sometimes I still surprise myself looking a decade back and seeing kind of where I am today. So. Absolutely. That's my origin. <laughs> Thank you. Um, question for you. It sounds like you um, always find yourself in situations where you have to jump into something where you don't know what you are doing, something completely new. So what I want to ask you is when you are learning those new things, what are your go-to resources for learning? Oh, man, if I can get firsthand with somebody and work, you know, I guess learn in production, um, I would call it, is my ideal thing for sure. 
So you can go online and, you know, the way that you might Google something, you can get different answers depending on the assumptions that you might be putting into your question. Or you might find a way to do what you think you want to do, but not necessarily the best way to do that. So if something's new to me, if I can sit down with one or two people, you know, whether it's face to face or on cam and say, hey, here's the problem. This is how I think I want to approach it. Can you tell me? what you find wrong with this or like, what is a better reason around that? So I've been very lucky. I'm always working around people that are extremely intelligent. Um, but with that, you know, comes every quarter going through trying to find, well, what are the tools, resources, and things out there that are coming up and trying to get ahead of that curve as much as possible without burning yourself out. And preventative is the best way. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still, I don't chat GPT yet um but stack overflow is usually where google leads me and i really <laughs> like the examples and you get about nine or ten people competing to sound like the smartest person so you kind of get a mixed bag of things and i really appreciate that piece of it yeah you've mentioned trying to get ahead of the game when it comes to tools how do you do that if you're in a current situation that you might not have access to those tools that's a good question. Okay. So yeah, I think like once you kind of build this base foundation of information, if you kind of, you know, let's say you've used Python and scripting, but you've also done Java or .NET and object oriented and compiled, you kind of pick up on things enough to where you know what you're not going to know. So you're more prepared for the situation as it comes. I think that's kind of the important piece. You know, if you're Switching from SQL Server where select top 100, you go to MySQL and it fails. You're like, okay, how do I do this? Okay, how do I limit rows? And you use the limit word and you kind of find those gaps there. Um, the, the way I find the tools of what I should start to kind of look out for or think about, DuckDB is on my list right now as the next thing, is just honestly scrolling through my LinkedIn feed. I have thousands of nerds I'm connected with and... Uh, you'll start to see a trend from certain people when they start talking about tools and whether some of it's hype or not, you'll kind of see what stands the test of that one, two, three week time frame of buzz and whatever is kind of left after the dust settles is uh, a great way to go. Um, another really cool piece is this developer advocate roles that we see at these companies right now. So like Brian Olson, uh, thank you for the shirt, shout out Trito um, at the time. You know, he was at Starburst and I was like, oh, you know, like Trino, Starburst seems cool. I'm just going to reach out to this guy on LinkedIn and say, hey, could we sit and chat for X amount of time? And a lot of the time people are happy to connect and talk about their tools. And uh, that's a great way to kind of get that firsthand knowledge, too. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then you're doing constant research on all of these tools that are coming down the pipeline. What makes you pick a tool where you're like, that's the one that I want to start trying to learn myself? That's, yeah, great question as well. Um, There's kind of a, I don't know how to put it. Um, You know, if you're looking at cars, everyone kind of has their vehicle if they look at it and say like, I love that. I am obsessed with it. Like people like green beetles and stuff, right? Like I don't get it, but somebody else does. And uh, 
what certain things attract me to tools, especially when there's nothing super flashy kind of in the tool. No one's kind of trying to sell me on it and everything seems pragmatic. You know, is it taking something that already exists and optimizing it in a way that's actually relevant to understand, or is it doing something completely new? If it's doing something completely new, how am I ever going to get this in a backlog? And, you know, it all kind of rolls into you get excited because something looks cool, but then you have to think about what is the business value? What is the actual ROI on this other than, well, you know, we can get a tenth of a second faster results. That might not matter for a company doing batch processing, right? Like it doesn't matter. So if you can think about it from that way, how can I leverage this? at my job or what can I get out of this that'll help me somewhere else, then learning it is only going to kind of benefit you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it is every, everyone has a new tool these days, right? Everyone's promoting their new tools, but what benefit can they bring to specifically what you personally are doing either um, at your company or maybe on a personal project that you're building, right? When I have free time, I don't get hyped typically when I'm learning new tools. Um, you know, there's there's a certain amount of, I guess, programs that you learn, um, SQL syntaxes that you learn before you don't get those. I don't know. I don't get that dopamine rush necessarily anymore. Mm-hmm. So when I do pick a tool to learn, there has to be a good reason behind it. Because for me, that's not what feels and excites me as much, you know, as maybe some other people. So also, you know, keep that in mind, especially on LinkedIn is you'll see some people pushing out certs every single week. Some of them do it because they just love it. They're, they can't get enough of it. And that's great. But you don't have to you don't have to do that. So, yeah, that's a good point. So when you do have, you know, you have a tool in mind, you want to start using it. Are you more likely to try to start using it for stuff at work or for a personal project? Definitely work. Um, If I do ever do personal projects, I would say I like to, I like to see the outcome of the project right away. Patience is something that's very difficult for me. I'm very much, let me obsess about this for 11 hours and then not think about it for two weeks, you know, on off, on off. So when you have the tools and the things, you know, um, you can watch it kind of come into fruition. It's almost Mm -hmm. like a quarterly exam of everything you know at that time work is really a great opportunity to um i guess so right now with the company that i'm working with what's really interesting is if we're talking about let's say iceberg or something like that is we don't just take someone's word for it right the next step would be like okay this is great what are the other tools that kind of live in this same area you know and how can we do a comparison to say what is the best fit for this use case or for this company or what is probably the most widely adaptable way. And those are really good opportunities to say, Hey, I'd like to, you know, touch Delta and work on that for a little bit and do the comparison Or, you know, for me, my favorite thing is if a couple people are already touching the tools, how can we all get together, do a meeting and I'll even just be the note taker, make sure the conversation's moving forward, collect all the thoughts, reiterate, and try to absorb as much as I can from everyone else. And uh, people hate doing that job, I think. And I love it. And I get to kind of secondhand take in a lot of different information. Um, 
So if you ever have that opportunity to get in and you ne don't necessarily have the tool, the access, or someone else gets it, there's still ways you can contribute into that and grow. So, so with personal projects, I've said that probably about three times now. I do want to mm -hmm. get into personal projects. And I know we talked a little bit beforehand and you seem to be more creative with your personal projects. So I want to transition into the official fun bits. Let's do it. So for your personal projects, you like to build instruments. Is that correct? Yes. All right. I can do. Elaborate on that. <laughs> yeah, I can grab one of them real quick if you'd like to see it. Yes. Kind of talk it out. So this is a Telecaster type guitar that I just recently built. It's definitely not the prettiest on earth, but that's kind of the point. And uh, it's more fun to kind of build than it even is to play. So like one thing you'll see on a Telecaster is usually the pick guard ends kind of around here. And I was like, well, I want it to go to right here. So I'm going to do that. It's uh, it's this beat up kind of leather look, right? Um, the color scheme on here, I'm colorblind, so I can't necessarily see all the subtleties. But, you know, on the body, I had over sanded a little bit. So I had that rough wood. So I tinted some... I guess like finish like a wood grain filler and when I rubbed it in it created kind of these natural I guess color differences and I was like this is awesome so now I'm going to take like five different shades of oranges and reds and just start mashing them together and see what happens mm -hmm. and uh it kind of turned out cool um you know this this was the first kind of body that was just a block of wood that I've built where it became a complete guitar shape um, okay. you know, it all started, I had this seven string guitar. Um, it was a real cheap one. It was pretty cool. And I dented it, chipped the paint. And I was like, all right, I'm going to take it apart. I'm going to fix that little chip of paint and we'll go, you know, next thing I know, I have wires everywhere, hardware everywhere. I have no idea what any of this stuff does. I tried to buy replacement parts. They were wrong. And that's kind of when the Googling began, right? Like what's the difference between a 250 K and a 500 K pot? And what is the best way to finish a guitar so it doesn't leak all over you and stain your brand new pants that your partner got you that you said you'd be careful with. Um, that never happened, of course. And uh, it just it just became this obsession of uh, building them and then having kind of this piece come out of it and saying, you know, it's not perfect. It's not great, but like it's cool and it's unique and I'm getting stuff out of it every time. Um, if I could spend all my time, I think every day, just tinkering around and building instruments, um, that would be my dream for mm -hmm. sure. So, but I don't like building them with the expectation of what they need to be in the end. Right. So a customer requesting, this would be cool. I think I would just overthink it. And uh, uh, okay. so all the, all the guitars would have to be for me but people would have to pay me and have no input in them. So I don't think that's a realistic ah. goal. Mm. You know? So not related to any type of uh, data request that comes in because you would be building it for yourself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So 
maybe one day as I get more confident in the skills, but you know, we all have to start somewhere and uh-huh. that's probably the thing that's most relatable to data with it is, uh, you know, when you first, like, I don't know how much you know about guitars as far as like the hardware and the insides of them, but Not really much. if, you know, someone's like, but if I said, Hey, you know what a guitar is, right? Like, yeah, of course I do. And you're like, yeah, it's got like the neck, the body, you plug in the thing and it makes noise. And that's kind of that initial when you start getting into tech and you're like, yeah, I know these things. It's great. And then like the second you start lifting, you know, the pick guard or other pieces off and you're like, what is that? Oh my God, what is that? And uh, this is kind of the front end. And when you open this up, it's the back end and you're like, oh, mm. there's the wires. And and it takes a very long time. So I'm still very much in the, I have no idea what I'm doing part, but it's mm. probably more than what the average person would have, you know? Yeah. So did you start building um, these electric guitars? Because what I'm thinking, I had an acoustic guitar growing up, right? So when you mentioned, if you open it up, there's wires, and you said plugging it in, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, right? So that's oh, even sure. like step one of figuring out baseline foundations what is the guitar that's very true yeah you say guitar and it could mean about 15 different things um well way more than that but to the average person so i like that that was a good transition yeah and then your next evolution might be a keytar a keytar that would be awesome i actually went even I went even nerdier than that. Um, I was really into like rock band. Well, it was Guitar Hero when I would play okay. a lot, you know. I was obsessed. And uh, I mean, I could play every single song on expert mode on all of them up until sometime in rock band. Um, and then I stopped. Not long ago, I started wanting to play again. And I could only find these couple hundred dollar guitars used online. I went on this marketplace and found uh, these like cheap damaged old uh, rock band guitars and i bought a few of them i went on this site and i found this guy and he built uh he was 3d printing out new fret strummers and like new keys that worked even better and i was like i know how to solder i'm gonna start doing this and uh bought some of that stuff it went well and then i actually went on his web page and just went to that contact me and i was like you're like awesome this is like the coolest thing ever and uh I want to do like, can we do custom harnesses? I'm thinking of 3D printing a fake guitar body. Can we do like a custom sizing or something? And he's like, oh my God, look at this. I made a flying V guitar hero controller and I'm all about this. I just quit my job. I'm going full time into it. And uh, I made a friend. So that's going to be my my next project on the uh, digital side. Then maybe the key card. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah, I did realize um, you can definitely guarantee to find one of those uh, guitars at like a Goodwill thrift shop. <laughs> oh, good to know. Yeah. So if you're ever looking for one, um, my husband and I, we like uh, dressing up, going to Comic-Con and such. And we were going as uh, Marceline and Marshall Lee from Adventure Time. So the guitar. Mm, okay. So we're like, where do you get a guitar? Goodwill. Nice. Very nice. So if you ever need any, that's the first stop. (laughs) Check. 
Going back to the topic of learning, where did you start learning how to build these guitars? Like, what is the stack overflow of building instruments? Oh, YouTube. 1,000% okay. YouTube. Um, okay. Kind of some of the passion was, uh, you know, just scrolling through and it actually started with, there's these things called uh, like river tables which has nothing to do with guitar, but it's a big slab of wood and you'll see a big cutout and then like blue epoxy that flows through it that almost looks like a river. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, I want to do this. So I started building this table and then me and, you know, my partner, Allison, the kiddos, we, uh, we all chose like different colors, poured it in to see how it would work. And uh, because it was the first time and I had no idea what I was doing, it came out perfect. Um, because, you know, that false sense of hope, like, you can do this. So it came out, and I became obsessed. And uh, then I was like, oh, it would be cool to have, like, a guitar body, too. And uh, that was the project after my seven-string Ibanez. I was like, I'll just cut out some of the wood and pour epoxy into it. And it went terribly. So then the chain of Google start, and then the algorithm, you know, you only have to watch two videos before it completely changes your recommended settings at the top. And, uh, that's, that's a lot of it. I tried Reddit before YouTube to get like real advice back from people, but, uh, mm -hmm. like the, they have a, it's called guitar porn and luthier and these different like subreddits. And a lot of the people on there just were not kind, you know, there wasn't any constructive feedback I was getting on questions, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's when I really decided okay well then moving on from trying to talk to people i'll just watch instructional videos on it and yeah <laughs> i don't know if you've ever had passions where you've got excited and then you try to find a community on a reddit or somewhere and you're like oh okay this isn't this isn't what i was about at all so yeah especially reddit could go either way you could i mean it is real hardcore like truth if you want to go out there but then also it's real hardcore truth <laughs> and it, it can be but you know i think about it as i don't know if it's me just being crazy or if other people do this but you know let's say i start overthinking something and i'm like okay I'm driving, let's say I'm driving to the office and I'm like, all right, I'm going to bump into this person and I'm going to bring this up and I'm going to bring it up. And then they're going to say this and I'll be like, oh yeah, well, this is what I think. And you make up this whole imaginary story in your head about this person. And then you see them and you're like, oh, hi. And then you realize, oh, I'm actually not mad at them at all. Or like, this yeah. doesn't go the way I thought at all because you're kind of humanized when you meet them or you get that. And I, sometimes I feel like online, especially Reddit, like we think that's the way we feel, but we don't really feel that strongly when we remember that it's a person, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit related and unrelated at the same time, somebody had provided a tip where if you post something on Reddit that you want an answer to, then log in as a separate user, comment a completely wrong answer, and then just watch them battle it out <laughs> in the comments. Have you done that? Does that, that work? <laughs> I've never done it, but I love that tip. And uh, that seems like it would be the most accurate thing on earth. So. Yes. 
<laughs> I have not tried it. It's a scary world out there sometimes. It is. But it's nice. <laughs> what would you say are one or some skills that you have learned from these creative projects that you have that you are able to leverage at your data job? Good question. I think it's, it's a lot of just state of mind. Um, you know, I wasn't great at soldering when I tried to start soldering. I'm still not great at it. Um, the first time I did it though, I did great. And then the second time I did terribly. And that's kind of something that I find is a trend, at least for me a lot, is when I start dipping my toes into things, it goes really smoothly at first. And then there's a huge plummet. And then you spend a lot of time trying to climb back up to where you thought you were. And then once you get there, you realize how much higher the, uh, the ceiling of talent is. And sometimes you just have to like stop and say like, oh, I did all of this. Like stop staring so high up and uh, focus on your footing now. I don't know. I mean, people have different aptitudes in this world and people are going to have natural talents that I never would and vice versa. And, but just because of that doesn't mean just because your entry point's a little higher to, you know, lose determination or lose focus of where you are. And if I ever get intimidated by a new stack or I get stuck on a problem and I can't figure it out and I can't find the resource, there's nothing that is preventing me from figuring it out. You know, it's patience and determination. So as you'll kind of see back there, uh, you know, I try to be the chihuahua in that situation and not just lie down and take it. Yep. So you got to fight for I it. You do. And uh, it's not, there is that reward at the very end when everything works out, but it's, it's not easy and mm -hmm. that's okay. I think that's kind of why I like tried new things at work too, because I can't just give up at work as easily, right? Like I enjoy not living in a cardboard box outside. So um, at work, there's the expectation to get it done. The expectation of not being perfect uh, because there's timelines too. Not having the luxury of putting it away for a month. Um, it's little bits each day. So mm -hmm. thank you so much, Stephen, for all of these wonderful takeaways. Um, are there any final words of encouragement or maybe recommendations that you have for the listeners? You know, I've had back and forth thinking a lot of uh, what does like emotional intelligence have to do in the data world? Um, in these technology roles. I was talking to my friend Ennis a couple of weeks back and, you know, he has the perspective really of the business has to learn to proxy themselves better when they ask questions to tech teams. And I'm very much an advocate kind of on the other side of, um, we have to find better ways to speak with the business. And I think that with chat GPT and other tools, the actual figuring out the syntax piece of the puzzle is going to go away a lot. It's going to be a lot more about high level understandings of architecture, but really to solve business problems. Don't ever forget that the reason you exist at companies, um, whether they see you as a strategic partner or just a cost center, the, the idea is still solving problems, um, innovations, but also just operational efficiencies too. And it's okay to be confused. Be the person who says, I don't know, but let me find out. 
but make sure if someone's asking for a new column in a report, they're not using it to download into Excel and, you know, pivot and V look up into another table, find out what they're trying to do. And maybe there's a better way to do it. And you just have to care enough to ask and you'll develop, you know, that communication. If it's hard for you to do it, if you do it just a little bit, you might find out people would rather have you ask a question and just communicate your best than to be shy about it. So I love my business partners and uh, we have, I think one of the best relationships. They can tell me when they're not happy about progress. They can tell me if they don't trust a data source, um, which is really good to know on a heads up. And I can tell them when their idea doesn't make sense to me. Um, so to me, that's how, that's how we're gonna have to grow in phase two. If anybody um, out there listening has any questions for you, where can they find and or follow you? Um, hopefully not follow me in person, but if they <laughs> want to find me, um, I don't do a lot of social medias. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to respond to there. One thing I will say is I make it a point as much as possible to leave my phone upside down and leave it when I'm off of work and I'm going around. Um, I really like to try to be disconnected from it, but when I see something, I'll answer it. Um, I'll, I'll do meetups like Zooms and stuff like that with people if they want to do that. Um, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but one thing I can promise is if you're trying to get into this area or you have questions on how to grow or anything, I will tell you what I think without a filter and try to be as honest as possible from an outside perspective. And um, if that's something that you need, let me know. I'm happy to do it. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Stephen, for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Those were all really good questions that I had to stop and think on, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, folks, happy learning. <laughs>